Welcome to today's Church Central podcast. We're a family of churches across Birmingham. To find out more, head to churchcentral.org.uk. Over the last few weeks, uh, we've been going through Fruits of the Spirit, and uh, Chris was taking us through uh, the fruit of faithfulness this morning. I've got the privilege of taking us through the fruits of uh, gentleness, and I'm looking forward to getting into that. So let's dive straight into the passage. So if you've got your Bibles with with you, then it's uh, Galatians 5, uh, 13 to 26. If you don't, then the word shoot has come up like magic behind me. Right, let me, uh, let me read uh, from verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now, I'd like to start with a story this morning. Um, So when I was at uni, uh, a a group of mates that uh, I stuck with uh, for all four years, and we used to go out like once or twice a week, pub or club or something like that. Uh, but one of my mates was a little bit more intense than, like that, than that. He would, uh, he would go out like every other night or two, three nights on the trot. And I, I don't know about you, but I don't have the capacity for that sort of thing. Never have, and uh, certainly don't have the capacity now for that sort of thing. Uh, but he was able to do that, and uh, he was the enemy of all of us, because he was one of these people who was able to just not turn up to lessons, not revise for exams, but he still managed to get a first in his, in his master's degree. And he's the sort of guy that you would you like to know, but you don't like to know, if you know what I mean. He's kind of the envy of all of us. Anyway, I was on a, uh, a night out with him once, and uh, he told me this story. And um, I found it really interesting, hence why I'm mentioning it this morning, that uh, he said, uh, when he's choosing a housemate, so now if you've been to uni amongst, uh, amongst us this morning, then you'll know that uh, the first year you stay on campus in dorms, you don't choose your housemates and stuff. But when, when you are uh, year two, year three, year four, uh, you have to choose a housemate. And it's important to choose the right one because, as a general rule, you're stuck with it. So he, this mate of mine had a, had a theory, a way of choosing you know, who was a good person or not. And his, his way of doing it would be that he'd take the guy out to, for a drink and if the guy 
after getting very drunk together. If the guy was still a decent guy when he was drunk, then he deemed him to be a genuinely good guy. Now, I don't know if this morning, uh, you know, we have that way of deciding whether somebody's a good guy or not. I don't know uh, what we think, how we approach the topic of deciding whether somebody's a good person or not. Whether it's sort of like how someone reacts to stubbing their toe on the bed in the morning, you know, or whether it's, you know, somebody who uh, helps old ladies, you know, across the road or gives to people uh, in the streets. Um, but the Bible, what's interesting is the more and more I read the Bible, the more and more I get the understanding actually that the way to, the way I think the Bible decides whether somebody's of good character or not is how they treat people that they don't like. How does somebody treat someone they don't like? So whether it be someone who's in the church, uh, whether it be someone in the wider community, maybe a boss, maybe someone at work, uh, maybe it be a celebrity, you know, or, or uh, or someone on TV, but it's how we decide to treat and love people that we don't like. And also, uh, how we give and serve people who can't give and serve us back. And it's interesting, really, uh, just, to, just to note the difference between how the Bible decides what, you know, what good character is and, and, and how the world does. Now, I'd like to just go back to why my mate thought the way that he did. And I think it's quite a good window into how our culture thinks. It's this understanding that the identity of a person and who someone truly is, is when they are, they, they speak without a filter, where, either when they're drunk or in a situation uh, where they're completely free to be themselves. Uh, that is who someone really is. So we hear our culture, don't we? We, we hear them say stuff like, uh, just you be you, or just be yourself, or if you're around someone that perhaps uh, you've struggled to be around, maybe that's a nice way of saying it, uh, you, you say something like this, don't you? I just, I just can't be myself around that person. And it's a difficult thing really, but the, the issue that we have here is that uh, we will have, if that is our understanding of what identity is, then we're going to have an identity crisis every time God asks us to do something that's difficult. There's many times in scripture, and particularly in these verses, where God asks us to do something where it does require us to restrict our actions and, and apply restraint to what we say, what we do, and how we think. And I just want to briefly touch on this, that actually God's... God's identity is that we are sons and daughters of God, that uh, we have a relationship now with, uh, God is called our Heavenly Father, isn't he? And now we are to approach everything that he says to us with a sense of trust. The Bible says uh, that uh, we are called to the obedience of faith, and it's faith in a God that loves and cares for us. And when he asks us to do something like he does in these verses, uh, then we can trust that it's for our good and for the good of those who are around us. So let's drop back into uh, the, um, onto the next slide, which is the purposes of this passage. Now we see that Paul, it's always good to ask for any passage that we read, isn't it? Um, what, what, does the re- what does the writer want the reader to get out of it? And I think Paul mentions three things in this passage. Number one, in verse 13, that through love that we serve one another that we walk by the Spirit, 
And if we live by the Spirit, let's also keep in step with the Spirit. Now, if my preach this morning, that's, that's the goal for my preach this morning, so that's my success criteria. Uh, if you're not encouraged uh, to, uh, through love, serve each other more, uh, to walk by the Spirit more, to keep in step with the Spirit more, uh, uh, then, then I've failed this morning. And you can hold up, you know, when you put the things I've asked you to do into practice uh, this morning, then in a few weeks' time you go, well, that really wasn't helpful. Okay, so that's, that's the success criteria of my preach this morning. Um, there's a few things that I want to note here. Number one is that it can be quite cryptic when the Bible says the Spirit. And it's not this just cloud or undefined you know, we don't really what, know what it is, but it sounds quite cool, it's quite new agey. No, when it says the Spirit, it means God. And the Bible talks about, uh, and this is the same God that uh, is defined throughout Scripture and who we can know uh, and, and, and love and who loves us. And uh, it says in, in the Bible that God is three persons, uh, one God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, okay? And we've often, you might have heard that at christenings, you might have uh, heard that in communion, but I think we've definitely heard in baptisms, people are baptised in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God. Now, there's also this understanding that uh, it says in this passage, if we are to live by the Spirit, and that's the understanding that a Christian is a Christian because God has come into our hearts and made his home in our hearts. And through his Holy Spirit, we are now uh, empowered uh, to live the Christian life. It's this wonderful picture, and it just, uh, I just wanted to say, like, it can be sometimes a bit cryptic, these verses, uh, when we just chuck it, you know, if we live by the Spirit, if we walk by the Spirit. What it really means is that God has come into our lives, that he lives with us, that he walks by us, and, uh, and uh, if we allow him, he also uh, helps us uh, to live the Christian life. There's one further point that I want to make uh, before I move on, and that is uh, this mis- misconception when it comes to being filled with the Spirit. Now, there's many Christians who believe that to be filled with the Spirit is all you need. You just get filled with the Spirit and automatically you will live out the Christian life, you'll just do these things, you know. All you need to be is filled with the Spirit and you will overflow into the attributes of everything that God uh, would have you do in your life. But here we can see in verse 25 that that's not the case, is it? That uh, if you're filled with the Spirit, if you've got God having made his home in your heart, and then there's also a calling to keep in step with the Spirit. And what does that mean? Well, that is exactly... Uh, one of the aspects of what we're going to be going through to this morning, and that is uh, the aspect of the fruits of the Spirit, which is what God is like and what it means. And practicing these fruits of the Spirit is what it means uh, to be keeping in step with the Spirit. Now, the fruits of the Spirit, um, now that we know Spirit means God, it's the fruits of God. It's actually what God is like. And, and it's wonderful, really. I've just uh, blown up the, the picture that's been in the right hand side of the screen here, it means God is joy, that God is love, that God is gentle with us, uh, that God is generous uh, and good to us, 
I just want to focus on one thing here. We're obviously going to be diving into gentleness this morning. That God is good to us. You know that God, we have a God who has loved and saved us, but not only that, but he looks for opportunities to be good to us this morning. And I think that's just a wonderful truth. The fact is that we get to walk day by day, hour by hour, with a God who's looking for ways to bless us and looking for ways uh, to work through us uh, to bless others. And that's what the fruit of the Spirit is all about, looking for ways to love, build relationships and encourage one another. Now, the word gentleness uh, is defined in Greek. The next slide, yep, thanks, you, James. And, um, and uh, right, so before, before this, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and the New Testament, which is where Galatians is, is written in Greek. Uh, and it's this unpronounceable word here, okay? But its definition means mildness slash gentleness. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I can't stand when the definition of something includes the very word <laughs> that it's trying to define. It's, it's, I, don't, I don't know, there's just something wrong about that for me. Um, but if we just dive a little bit further in, okay, the word suggests sweet reasonableness. Now, I, haven't, I don't even know what clemency means. Um, but it was, it was in the definition. Uh, the gentleness of Christ, um, the work of gentleness. Uh, I quite liked this. This is why I included it. The work of gentleness smooths anything harsh. I think that's quite a nice, a nice way of describing the work of gentleness. And you know that there's only two people in the Bible who are called, actually directly called gentle, and that is Moses and Jesus. So we've got two very good examples this morning. Okay, and of Jesus, it is said in Matthew 12, 18 to 20, Here is my servant who I have chosen, the one whom I love, the one whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. Isn't that wonderful, that... This, when you just look into what this passage means, what it really means is that Jesus came, but he didn't come shouting. He didn't come, you know, screaming his head off in the streets. He came gently to us. There were, there were people around him were uh, in, um, uh, in sensitive positions and finding life difficult. And he didn't, he didn't break them. He didn't snuff them out. No, rather, bruised reed, he did not break. And a smouldering wig. He did not snuff out. And I just want to say two things this morning. Number one is that this is what God is like. If you are struggling with life this morning, uh, maybe it's getting on top of you, and I'm sure many of us are in that sort of situation where we're feeling quite sensitive or tender at the moment, just to tell you that God is a God who is gentle towards you, that he'll never ask of you more than you're able to give, that he is a God that comes alongside us that loves us, that cares for us, he calls us his heavenly father and he compares himself to a good father and even says, I'm even better than a good father to us. And the second thing I want to say is if you do feel like that, then we'd love to pray for you uh, at the end. And so please just uh, feel encouraged just to grab one of us, we'd love to serve you in that way. Now this is a picture of uh, me and uh, my niece Penny. The instant love affair on uh, on holiday in Spain for two weeks, and my uh, 
my brother's, um, my brother's daughter, and she took an instant liking to me, which was, uh, which was amazing. I spent a lot of time with her on holiday. Uh, it's easy, isn't it? Just to, to, to be gentle and uh, like when, when you have a kid, you're particularly aware. Of, well, right, okay, you've got to be gentle, you've got to restrain your strength around this little one. Uh, and you're always telling them to be gentle, aren't you, as well? Oh, gentle, gentle. Like, you know, particularly when a cat or a dog comes around and a hand comes out. No, the grabber, I call it. And uh, you've, just got to, you've just got to constantly pretend, be gentle. And I feel like that's a little bit like what God is around us. We're surrounded by people and God is saying, listen, be gentle, be gentle. Now, I've, uh, I've looked on, online and looked at quite a few uh, things uh, with regard to gentleness. I, I think, uh, apologies for this slide, by the way. It's a bit, uh, it's a bit info heavy. Um, but I think actually a good way of describing uh, the work of gentleness is uh, restraining your words and actions for another's benefit. Okay, I think there's three foundations to gentleness. So uh, I know that Chris is a fan of, uh, of the chair, uh, but we've only got three, three legs to this one, so we're going to go for a stool this morning. All right, now there's three, three legs to the stool of gentleness before you're able to to start um, uh, acting out gentleness. And the first one is the understanding, I think we've touched on it this morning already, that God is gentle, that the Christian life is all about uh, giving out what you've already received. If you understand that God is gentle towards us and towards you, then you will also be able to uh, treat others around you with gentleness. Remember, there's that verse that says, with the comfort that you have received, uh, therefore, uh, you are able to have a ministry of comfort. And I think that's the same for gentleness. With the gentleness that you've been able to receive, you're able to have a ministry of uh, gentleness towards others. Now, second point uh, is the importance to understand that those that God has put around you are immeasurably precious to God. I love the, I love the thought, actually, this is something that has captured my my prayers with regard to praying for people who are lost. But it's actually true for each of us um, that there's that picture, isn't there, of, of uh, in the New Testament, I think it's in the, um, in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus uh, compares each of us to a lamb that has been rescued. And this, uh, this lamb is put on the shepherd's shoulder, who is God, and he walks back into town and he gathers his friends and his family uh, towards him and he celebrates and feasts and rejoices because this lamb that was lost has now been saved. This uh, lamb that was dead has now been made alive and he feels like that over each and every one of our lives. And it's this understanding, gentleness requires the understanding that every person that walks through that door and every person that's in the congregation here uh, this morning is immeasurably precious to God. And the third point is the understanding is that God has called us to treat people as if they are measurably precious to God. So it's not just a, an acknowledgement that people are precious, but it's an understanding that God has called you to love, encourage and build up and take responsibility for those that God has put around you. And I guess there's a, there's a challenge there as well. If somebody was to... Uh, looking um, as an outsider in your life, would, would he consider uh, that your mission was to love those in your church community? 
Now, my, my secret to gentleness, or something that I've... My secret sounds all a bit too, uh, too glamorous, doesn't it? Let's, uh, let's say what I found very, very helpful. I'm not sure where I got it from. But before... And I found it, it's actually really quite hard sometimes. Before you say anything to someone, I'm not talking about just banter at the coffee shop or, you know, or something like that, but, you know, when you're really saying something to someone, ask yourself before you say it, is what I'm about to say going to honestly do good and encourage this person? Because quite often, like, don't you like me, quite often you find yourself hating. <laughs> or, or you find yourself, so, you know, you find yourself saying something, even if you're correcting someone, uh, but really, it's not about doing that person good or building that person up. It's just about sharing your opinion or winning the argument. So I find it's very helpful to, to ask this. What is what I'm about to say to that person going to honestly, honestly do good to that person? I hope that that's uh, of value to you in applying gentleness. Now, we're coming to the final couple of minutes. And I've just got a list here of what gentleness looks like. Okay, and it's and I think it's just a, it's just a long list. We've we've obviously all got our own examples, but although free, it's choosing to be a servant and serve the community. It's taking on the responsibility to love and encourage and build people that God has put around us. And I think we've covered those two already. It's quietly reasoning with someone who's shouting at you and not repaying evil for evil. It's not saying what you perhaps want to say, but holding back and only saying what benefits and encourages another. It means restraining yourself around someone that you find immensely irritating, <laughs> and choosing instead uh, to speak kindly to them and build a relationship with them. It means encouraging someone when all you want to do is point out their faults. It means losing the argument that doesn't matter for the relationship that does. It means choosing to befriend someone and act kindly towards them even when they don't deserve it. It means Jesus dying on the cross for us even when we were the ones that drove the nails that pinned him there. It's challenging, isn't it? And gentleness is all about encouraging others, doing good to others even though we have the strength to do elsewise. It's using our freedom, not for ourselves, but to serve instead. And let me just finish off with Philippians 2, 3 to 8. It's in the New Testament. I think this is a great example of who Jesus is and uh, the example that we're to follow. It says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than ourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Jesus Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. You could, uh, for, in our example, you could say, although we have the freedom to, to do what we want, we decide instead to serve. But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself to, uh, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. <laughs>